Wow, thank you. Le Leonard, it's great to have you back, man. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Well, uh, my name is Steve Murray. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Actually, I'm the only pastor here on staff. Uh, actually, we have a staff full of pastors, really, and uh, I'm glad to be one of them. Uh, our, our theme today is a savior in a city, really. We're talking about Palm Sunday. We're talking about Jesus entering the holy city of Jerusalem. But I want to start by asking you a question and give you a chance to think about it for a nanosecond, and then in two nanoseconds, share it with each person next to you, and it's this. What is your favorite city? What is your favorite city, and why is it your favorite? So you think about that. You might have it right off the top of your head. You might not have a favorite city. In that case, invite the person next to you on either side to start. So what's your favorite city, and why is it your favorite city? Okay, I'm just curious, how many of you said San Diego? Oh my gosh, the hometown favorite. Uh, let me share with you a few of my top favorite cities. Uh, this city, of course, next slide for the next city, London. When a man is tired of London, he is tired of life. Uh, I think uh, uh, one of those great um, uh, commentators in London said, Samuel Johnson, I think, said that. Another great city. Uh, how many of you think New York is one of your favorite all-time cities, yeah? You have four days and about a million dollars, you can have an awesome time in New York City. Uh, another great city, the city of romance. This, of course, is a picture of Las Vegas. And, uh... No, it's actually the real Paris. Uh, next on the list of favorite cities... Wait, how did... It... Ah... Well, what happened here was we, was up, we were up against Brawley, Beaumont, Barstow, Banning, and it turns out Bakersfield had the best sign. And so if you've ever gone down 99, you know that it's all sign and no city. Basically, that's what Bakersfield is. Uh, okay, here's another great city, one of the most phenomenal cities uh, in the world on the West Coast, Vancouver, Washington. No, it's Vancouver, Canada. They get full credit for that city, and if you haven't been to Vancouver uh, and beyond, what you see beyond is as amazing as any place on earth, the great fjords of the Northwest, Desolation Sound, all that. Vancouver, great city. Uh, you might not know this, but I'm going to tell you that God has a favorite city. God has a favorite city. And uh, I'll tell you why I know that. It's uh, out of Psalm 48. Uh, let's call that one up. Psalm 48, how great is the Lord, how deserving of praise in the city of our God. In the city of our God, which sits on his holy mountain, it is high and magnificent. Jerusalem sits on in a high place. So if you're going anywhere in Israel to Jerusalem, you're going up. Uh, it's called Mount Zion. Uh, it's a great city where Abraham uh, went to sacrifice Isaac and God intervened. It's where so many things we see in the Bible come together in that incredible city. He says, the whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, is the city of the great king. God himself is in Jerusalem's towers, revealing himself as its defender. And so here we come to uh, the city part of this morning. Uh, Jesus enters Jerusalem. We see this in Matthew 21. We've been going through uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and now we see Jesus entering the city. 
And it says, as they approached Jerusalem, they, meaning Jesus and the people traveling with him, uh, they came to a place called Bethphage, a uh, house of figs, house of figs. And so when you come from the desert up to Jerusalem, from the Jordan River Valley, and you come into this high place, uh, that was a place uh, uh, nearby where Lazarus and his sisters, Marian and Martha, lived. And so Jesus uh, is making his way up, and so he comes into this place, and he says to two disciples with him, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Uh, Matthew goes on to tell us, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, the, the, the imagery here, this is a kind of an odd picture for us. Uh, we would not say, oh, you should have seen it when MacArthur came back to the Philippines. He was on a donkey. No. You wouldn't say, you know, Eisenhower, when he, you know, you know, was victorious over the Axis forces, as they were celebrating him, he and Churchill rode together on donkeys, you know, and, and FDR was, no, you'd say, a donkey, that doesn't make sense. But in this case, a donkey represents, I have all the power I need. I can ride this little donkey. I don't need an army and a charger. I, all the power is in me. It's sort of the situation where you say, where's the head of the table? Wherever the leader sits. And so here you have this picture of, of this openness, this vulnerability, and yet I come as a king. Uh, so this was the imagery, and the people were expecting a king. And you can imagine uh, what was building in, in, in Jerusalem as this was all coming together. Not just Jesus giving these instructions, but the whole movement of Passover toward this city. A city that was as, as, as tight as a, as a wire stretched. Uh, it was as, as ready to explode as a tinderbox. Uh, it's kind of like the California forest right now. If we have a hot summer, it's going to be a very dangerous summer because there's so many trees uh, that are ready to just explode in flame. And so this was the tense situation. Well, meanwhile, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, what's happening is... is uh, tens of thousands of people are streaming into Jerusalem. This is the kind of pilgrimage that people would make once in a lifetime if they could, or every year if they could. So it's filled with people from around Israel. Uh, Jerusalem is in the south, and then uh, there's a, a lot of people live in the north. So all these people migrate, uh, make a pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem. Now, from around the world, uh, what's called the diaspora, all these Jews who've been spread around the world, also want to make their way back there. So there's a lot of people coming in, the locals and the not-so-locals, uh, from every stream of Judaism. Uh, you know, there's, there's Ashkenazic Jews. These are the European Jews that you might know about. There's the Sephardic Jews. Uh, uh, and, there's, and there's all these other kinds of Jews from different places. An African Jew, a Spanish Jew, a European Jew. So just like today, uh, there are all these people coming in. So all kinds of languages being spoken. All kinds of customs and, and garb represented. Some knowing exactly what was going on in Jerusalem uh, and in Israel. Others not sure, but they were so glad to be there. So there's a lot of enthusiasm uh, going on. In the meantime... With all this tumult and all this momentum of people moving toward an exciting event, Luke tells us, uh, parallel to what's going on, Luke tells us that, that as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Now, this is an odd thing, except to realize that it's not just a king coming into the city, not just a, a, a local celebrity coming into the city. It's a savior coming into the city. It's a city that was, was caught up in so much conflict, 
the Romans occupying it, the Jewish leaders divided among themselves and jockeying for power, doing their side deals uh, with the Romans, with one another, and the people were, were the last in line. Uh, and the people were uh, just held in um, captivity by, by both an outward force, the Romans, and the, and the internal forces of their own leaders. And so it, it, it was a very conflicted place. And so Jesus weeps over it, saying, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, Jerusalem, it's the city of peace. It's an ironic, paradoxical title at this point, if anything but. But he says, now it is hidden from your eyes. And, and we know that eventually Jerusalem was absolutely leveled, literally leveled. Everything that could burn was burned. Everything that could be pulled and pushed down was pulled and pushed down. Uh, that massive wall that you see if you go to Jerusalem called the Western Wall of what was then the temple is magnificent, and all it is is a foundation. It's a magnificent place. You've been there. Uh, you had the goosebumps approaching it, seeing there. If you've gone down underneath to see the tunnel, the walls, I mean the bricks as, as large as these walls and in perfect alignment, uh, not bricks but stones, and you think, this place was awesome and uh, unshakable, except for what Jesus knows is that it was anything but unshakable. It was absolutely at risk and in play and vulnerable. But we, meanwhile, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, you know, praise to the son of David. A loaded phrase, son of David, is the one through whom the Messiah would come. David, the greatest king, the begetter of kings. And so this is a momentous moment, whether people understand it entirely or not. Something is going on, and I'm not sure what it is, but I'm really glad to be part of it, is the feeling. And so people are screaming out their praises. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Now, of course, the local people who had seen him, who had heard him, who had watched him do these incredible miracles and confound the religious authorities, knew exactly who he was. Oh, I'll tell you who he is. So it was like a big, giant game of, of telephone, telegraph. Uh, tell somebody else, you know, that, 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 that this is who Jesus is. And so this idea of, of, of somebody in whom the hopes of Israel are currently being focused is spreading throughout uh, the, the crowds. And meanwhile, as people are coming up, the reason they're singing and they're waving, waving these palm branches is that there are a series of psalms, about 15 psalms, called the Psalms of Ascent. And these are songs that everybody would know to sing as they came into uh, Jerusalem. And they'd sing them in a certain order at a certain time. And, and people just knew this. And so there's this incredible sense. I mean, I hate to use the analogy, but it's, the closest I can think of is if you're at a British soccer match, uh, everybody knows the same songs. Uh, some of them are intelligible, um, but all of them are passionately sung, you know. And so the crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, we know that the end of the week was different uh, than his entry. Everyone except Jesus would be surprised to go from this incredible moment of celebration and praise Hosanna to crucify him, crucify him. And so Palm Sunday is also called Passion Sunday. Uh, we think of passion in a romantic uh, Western world as, as romance uh, and um, falling in love uh, or feeling passionate about, really emotional about something in a positive way. As you mostly you know, you probably know, passion means to suffer. Passion means to suffer. And so the idea is that you, you believe in something, you are so committed to something or someone that you're willing to suffer for them. Uh, you know true love because it's willing to suffer. You know the suffering of a parent over, of, a, of an ill child. 
uh, you know, the, the passion, uh, the, the heartbreak of somebody losing a spouse, a loved one, a parent, a dear friend. Uh, this is probably the, the most vulnerable we ever get as human beings. And in that moment of, of love that is so uh, pushed into grief and loss, that's, that's the deepest part of passion. Um, and so it's called Passion Sunday as well as Palm Sunday. All four Gospels describe Jesus' triumphal entry. Uh, this is significant. All of them are giving you a perspective on it. And triumphal in quotation marks because, well, it's triumphal, but he's a guy on a donkey. And the Romans are probably looking at him going, right. And the Pharisees are looking at him saying, oh, no, this is not good. And the people, especially those who've seen and been in his presence and perhaps were part of the 5,000 fed, or the 4,000 fed, the various instances where he was doing miracles and healing and feeding, uh, they're saying, oh yeah, something is up. God is up to something good and big. And so it's triumphal because Jesus came into the city as a king would enter the city, as I mentioned. But what kind of king? Not a king that says, on your knees. He came as a servant leader willing to sacrifice himself to fulfill his mission, like no other king who's ever lived. This is one of the most amazing and disarming things. When a leader that everybody knows has a lot of power is willing to act humbly. It's disarming to us. It's endearing to us. When we see any kind of leader in any kind of level, whether you're leading a Cub Scout pack or a little group of Girl Scouts and Brownies, whether you're leading a sports team as the coach uh, or was the best player on a traveling team, or you're in any kind of capacity as a leader, and you are approachable and vulnerable, accessible and humble, people will do anything for you. They'll do anything for you. Uh, but we don't see that many kinds of leaders. So that's why they're so rare. Uh, they're rare and, and much loved. Well, the writer of Hebrews, this is later, uh, after Jesus' resurrection, years later, a very informed Jewish leader says, let me put this in context for you. And so we don't know the author, but Hebrews, uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us this, and, and, and they quote Psalm 40 in the midst of this. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice, quoting the psalm, sacrifice an offering you did not desire. The psalmist is now speaking to God, but it's as if the Messiah is speaking to God, and Jesus is appropriating that language. You didn't desire sacrifice and offering, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offering you were not pleased. So he's saying the temple processes of of the sacrifices and the offerings that that God had commanded were important and integral to to Israel's identity, but they had to be repeated every day, every week, year in and year out. And the Messiah is saying, I've come to fulfill that, not to destroy that, but to fulfill that. So here I am, he says. One of the great words that echoes throughout the Bible, hineni. Isaiah said this to God, here I am. And whenever you hear that word, that phrase, here I am, the Hebrew word hineni, it's lean in close because, oh, something big is going to happen here. Here I am. I'm I'm submitting myself to you, O Lord. I've come to do your will, my God. And, And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this is, this is what happened. And we're, we're at, the, at, the, at the, sort of the, the, the end of the beginning, the end of a three-year ministry. We're at the end of that. Now we're looking into this, this window of a week on Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday. And so that's the first big part of this. God has a favorite city, and God has provided a savior for that city. But here's what we find out. The big, next big point of the morning is this. God has a heart for all people. Therefore, God has a heart for the city. 
God has a heart for all people in all places at all times. God works through any culture, but God is above every culture. He's not contained by any culture. He's not the God of the West. He's not the God of the East. He is who he is. And he has a heart for all people, and he has a heart for the city. Why? Well, cities are exciting and exhausting. People crave community but become detached in cities. There's nothing more exciting than to be in a city. And yet, we all know the feeling. You can be alone in a city. I've been in, in Manhattan on, on Halloween night, which is to say something. Um, because I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about it being Halloween night. I was trying to get into an Itchak Perlman concert. And, and, I, and me and my buddy uh, had come in from Princeton, New Jersey to go to this concert. We couldn't get in, so uh, we, they said, come back in two hours. Okay, we come back in two hours. Meanwhile, we had some movie called Princess Bride that was at the theater. That's a dumb name. Let's go see the silly movie. Came out of that movie. We said, hey, any tickets for Itchak Perlman? No, but The Grateful Dead is playing down in Greenwich Village. Okay, let's go down to The Grateful Dead's concert, you know. <laughs> Uh, oh, we can't get in there either, you know? Uh, and plus, we, we were too in our right minds. They wouldn't let us in. We looked too normal and sounded too normal. So we started walking around. All of a sudden, this mass of people in the most crazy costumes that I have ever seen come, come taking over the entire sweep of the city. And my friend and I caught up in it. And so we were trying to get to this pizza place, and to, and to John's pizza. I said, let's just walk with these guys. So we're walking this parade, you know, and it's, it's mayhem, bedlam, everything. And finally, there's this cop there. I said, hey, what is this parade? He said, oh, it's, it's the, um, it's a, it's the uh, annual gay parade. I'm like, okay then. All right. All right then. Um, so how about you? you, know, you know, and, and it was just it was a crazy, crazy mix, a crazy uh, thing. And, and yet you look around the city and you can see, like this picture of this person, if you zero in, you see the loneliness, the emptiness, the fear. Uh, the inebriation, the intoxication, both from substances and from just the sheer audacity of the whole thing. And yet there's deep, aching loneliness in the city. We know that, right? So let me give you, let me give you a, a big picture of the city. Why this city... You know, we believe that everybody needs Jesus, first of all. And therefore, we believe that every city needs Jesus. Now, this might be a new thought to you that everybody needs Jesus. This is not a provincial, small-minded point of view. It's to say that if the God of the universe is who he reveals himself to be, it's good news to me that he has a heart for all people and that every city um, he has a heart for as well. And, and it, the corollary is that we believe then that everybody needs Jesus and every city needs Jesus. So here's seven things. Cities are significant throughout the Bible. And I won't go into all these, but, but each one of these could be a sermon in themselves. Cities are significant throughout the Bible. Uh, the gospel started in a city, Acts 1.8, starting in Jerusalem to, Jeru to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. You know, proclaim this good news of what God has done in Christ. Cities are centers and engines for culture change. You want to know where culture change starts? It's not, I'm, I'm guaranteeing it's not in, in uh, Blythe or Brawley or Barstow, Banning, Beaumont, or Bakersfield. Uh, it starts in cities. And cities allow us to reach and send people efficiently. You can gather people together and then send them out from the cities. Everybody wants to start their career in basically five cities in America. Every 20-something wants to start their career. If they have an idea of a long-term career, they want to start in New York. They want to start in Washington, D.C. Uh, they want to be in L.A. for certain things. 
right? They might want to be in Dallas for certain things, etc. So there's, there's some places that, that make things happen. Why? Because cities have infrastructure to support all kinds of things. From a Christian perspective, we say they have the infrastructure to support mission. One person in a city can write a check to fund all kinds of interesting mission. One person in a city can come up with some very interesting things to make all kinds of things you never thought possible possible. I had to run up, uh, Jen and I ran up to San Jose yesterday for a, for a family event. Flew out in the morning, came back last night. I couldn't recognize San Jose. I mean, I went to junior high and high school there. I used to run around the orchards there. And there's not an orchard to be found there. But you can find any kind of interesting technology you've ever imagined or have not yet imagined there. So there's infrastructure. Cities concentrate diverse talent and resources. The brain power, the financial power, the creative power embedded and residing in cities is unbelievable. Everybody comes from someplace else, but they end up in the city. The girl who grows up in the suburbs in Orange County, dreaming to be an opera singer at one point, ends up being a principal singer for the Met. She's saying, I keep pinching myself every day. Every day. I can't imagine. I came from the, subs, the, the burbs of Orange County, and now here I am, uh, a principal singer at the Met. And to hear her tell her story, uh, she will say, I couldn't believe it until I was doing it. And then finally, cities are part of God's plan for redemption. God counts the city as part of his plan for redemption. Cities are a new phenomenon, but we now live at a time when more people on the planet live in cities than ever before. And it's not going to change. Cities and urbanization is just going to concentrate. So cities are a significant component in God's plan to redeem this planet. At the end of the Bible, we see in Revelation, the very end of the book of Revelation, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. God at the heart of the city, the new holy city, the new Jerusalem. God is at the heart of it. So the third point of the morning is this. Do you have a heart for this city? Most of you do, apparently. You said that this is your favorite city at the beginning of the, the morning. Do you have a heart for this city? You can be sure that God does. God has a heart for San Diego. So this week, uh, I, I encourage you, I invite you, I challenge you. Uh, if I could, I would command you. Uh, to walk with Jesus to the cross. I, 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 th I think there's nothing more important for you to rearrange your schedule than to come on Thursday night to Monday Thursday. That service called Monday Thursday, 6.30 to 7.30. Come on Friday, Good Friday service, 6.30 to 7.30. Um, and then come with us next Sunday to celebrate Easter. And if you can't be here, celebrate Easter somewhere. Even if right now you're sitting here saying, I don't know if I even believe in Jesus, go someplace on Easter Sunday and just soak it up and see what God says to you and does in you. Now, here's what I want to uh, throw out to you. Imagine Jesus, then, coming to San Diego in the midst of this holy week. Just as, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, imagine Jesus coming into San Diego. What would he do? How would you, how would we welcome him? What could you tell him about this city? What could you tell Jesus about this city? Now, assuming Jesus already knows everything there is to know. But if he said, hey, so tell me about your city. Tell me about San Diego. Do you think there's any room here for me? Do you think there's any need here for me? When AA went to Ireland, they started in, in um, the south of Ireland, the Republic of Ireland. They went to Dublin. They said to people, hey, we have this thing called AA. We'd like to start it here. They said, oh, there's no need here. You go up to the, go up to the north. They might need it up there. <laughs> what would you say? Uh, Jesus said, well, is there a need here for me? What are people like in this city? What can you tell me about this city? Could you be that person to say, oh, yeah, let me tell you about the city? 
So here's what I want to ask you to do. Pray that the people of our city will recognize Jesus as Savior and receive him as King. Why not be audacious? You only live once. This isn't a dress rehearsal. Let's go for broke. Let's just assume that if everybody needs Jesus, God has a heart for everybody. Every city needs Jesus. God has a heart for every city. Why don't we just assume that our, one of our callings, one of our jobs, one of our commissions from God is to pray for our city, to pray revival and renewal and awakening in our city. What if that just became one of our normal everyday prayers? Lord, I pray revival and renewal and awakening for my city, the city of San Diego. Think about it. The name St. James, the brother of Jesus. It's not odd to pray that there would be renewal and revival and awakening in the city of San Diego. Pray that, and may it start with you. So, Lord Jesus, this is my prayer for me, for my brothers and sisters here, for our city, that as you work through the people in this city who name you as Savior and Lord, no matter where they go to church or don't go to church, I pray, Lord, that you would move by your Spirit through the power of your word, transforming minds and hearts through the, the courage and the boldness of your people, that you would sweep through the city quietly, but quietly like an ocean roars, like an avalanche starts, until, Lord, your glory is thundering through this city, that this would be a city that certainly bears the name of your brother James, but would bear the name of Jesus. I pray that for each one of us, that that would start in our hearts and our minds and our families and our networks of friends, and it would be part of what you're doing in this city, and that it would sweep in this city uh, to cities around the country and throughout the world. Lord, thank you for loving us and having a heart for us. Lord, thank you for having a heart for the cities. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.